gentlemen and welcome to the December 21st, 2014 edition of Season 2 of The Court Report on the Nachum Siegel Network, the premier place to get all your sports news and information regarding the Yeshiva League. The Court Report comes to you every Sunday night at 7 p.m., as well as an encore presentation on Tuesday night at 7 p.m. right here on the Nachum Siegel Network. Every week we'll take a look back and a look ahead at all things Yeshiva League. Had a game this week? Let us know. Please friend me on Facebook. Send me a message. My name is Elliot Weiselberg. That's W-E-I-S-E-L-B-E-R-G. Or you can like the Court Report fan page. You can also follow me and tweet me on Twitter. My name is Y-L-S, Wise Guy. That's Y-L-S-W-E-I-S-G-U-Y. Because if I don't know about it, we can't talk about it. Thank you again to our amazing sponsors, Crown Trophy of Brooklyn. Crown Trophy of Brooklyn has been servicing the Yeshiva League for over a decade now. And if you've won a championship within that period, you've already benefited from their amazing handiwork and craftsmanship. Please give Mike, Larry, and the entire gang a call at 718-769-4111 for all of your trophy and plaque needs. Again, I'm your host, Elliot Weiselberg, coach, official, analyst, but most of all, like you, I am a Yeshiva League fan, and I am humbled and privileged to be able to share the amazing efforts and accomplishments of these kids with you each and every week right here on The Court Report. If you have a smartphone and haven't downloaded the NSN app already, please do so. You'll have access to all of last season's court reports, this season's court reports, plus you'll be able to send comments for each show. Please keep the comments nice. Much like the show is not about me criticizing, degrading, or disrespecting, or demeaning players or coaches, please be courteous enough to do the same. First off, a Chag Sameach to everyone. I hope that you've all been enjoying your Hanukkah. Tonight is the sixth night of the holiday. Thankfully, it's not the Omer, so I can say that. I hope everyone has gotten some great presents. And I know I've gotten mine because other than Hanukkah, this week in the Yeshiva League and this past two weeks has been Rivalry Week. Rivalry Week is a great week where, for some reason or another, the schedule just works out that every school that has a rival... They all get together, and they all have some great action. Uh, what makes I want th- I want this episode to be about those rivalries. What makes for a great rivalry? What schools have a great rivalry? And how does that affect the league today? So we're gonna jump right into it. What makes for a great rivalry? This this is my my opinion of what makes a great rivalry. I know other people have certain factors that they use. I know they have other ways. You know, other people use their emotions, their hearts to decide. For me, there is a formula. What makes a great rivalry? So we're going to go through it. Let's start off with that before we get into some of the rivalries that happened over the past week. For me, one of the main factors in a rivalry is location. Where two schools are in relation to one another is a huge element. You know, both battling for the same turf. You can find that here in New York, you know, in hockey with the Rangers and the Islanders. There's just something about having bragging rights over your neighbors that you can gloat over for a period of time. In terms of our schools, you know, you'd see that in several of the games that took place this coming week. 
back in the Middle Ages, although I know my dad would kill me for saying that. There was a fierce rivalry between Flatbush and a school called BTA, Brooklyn's version of MTA, another thing my dad would kill me for saying. Uh, he would always talk to me about how... You know, you had BTA uh, and, and Flappish that were five blocks from each other. I actually live within close proximity to both of those, uh, where those school, where BTA was and where Flappish is now. And he would talk about how there was just this, this electricity in the air when you had those games and when you got close to those games and all of Brooklyn was a buzz over how it would be just because of the fact that it was it was very much a border war. You would walk two blocks and you would be in each other's quote unquote territory. Um, there's also you know that feels rivalry, you know, out west when you get like a battle with T A B C and Frisch or J E C Kushner. I mean it doesn't always work out like that. You also have some like the Yankees and Mets and the Jets and Giants where they're geographically close, but you know, they don't necessarily compete for you know for their bread because they're in different divisions or conferences, which takes away a bit from it, but it gets to my next point. Frequency of competition. A great rivalry is one where you see the other team more often than you generally would others. Uh, that's why I disagree with people that tell me you know, the DRS-TABC hockey rivalry and the North Shore and Ramaz basketball rivalry are, are big rivalries. You know, In both situations, the reason that the two have tension is because of the importance of the games that they've played. But the schedules don't make it so that they're guaranteed to meet up every year. A rivalry needs to be something that gets stoked and stirred up every year where you get that schedule. And the first thing you do is not look to see if you face somebody, but it's you look at that schedule and you see, you know who you're going to play, and the question is when. You know, it's not an if, it's it's a when, and that's a difference in football between the Giants and Cowboys and the Giants and Patriots. You know, the Giants and Patriots have a, you know, the Patriots are closer, and you know, the Super Bowl wins by the Giants probably annoy the Patriots fans, but without facing the Giants every year, there isn't a real hatred built up. The Giants and Cowboys, on the other hand, very little proximity, but they play in the same division, and they see each other twice, and generally it's for something extremely important. And that's my next factor, importance of games. A rivalry is built when games are played with something riding on it. For many years, Ramaz and Frisch Basketball played games with the division outcomes riding on them. The same for DRS and Hafter today. It's an extra piece of the puzzle that's been missing from the Ranger Islander battles for the last several years, where one was in a playoff hunt and the other wasn't, so the meaning to both teams was different. Granted, you wanted to beat the other team, and that got you awake. But the battles of the late 70s and the early 80s were worlds ahead of those games. Just ask your parents to compare those two. The history between the two has carried the rivalry for the last 30 years, more so than the actual gameplay. Which, you know, the history is another factor. History and pride. And I don't mean history as in past and present, but more bad blood and the pride that comes in defending your honor. There's something there that really stokes the passion of the fans involved, whether it's an injury caused, like with Rangers and Islanders, the whole Potvin debacle, a controversy, something happening between the two in a game that just stoked that rivalry more. People switching sides, which we'll get to a little bit later. Tension between fans. You know, no reason to give present-day examples there, because we aren't quite that kind of show, but you know the ones that I mean. And when talking about pride... Think about the Army-Navy games that occur in college football every year. Another important factor is historic battles. You know, the games themselves are generally close, and they generate great crowds that elevate them to the classic levels. They're the games like Auburn and Alabama that you want to watch over and over again. You know, you can always go into one of those games and expect your money's worth because it's going to be a classic. Although I guess that doesn't really matter in the Yeshiva League as, you know, the games, for the most part, are free. 
That is, unless you want to attend this coming week's after uh, after Flappers Battle at the Barclays Center. We'll give you a little more information later as to how to get tickets to those games. But for the most part in Yeshiva League, it's really not money, but just the value of the game you're going to. Finally, while it's not really necessary, the difference between a good rivalry and a great one is where both sides come away with wins at points. The electric battles are the ones where both sides get to feel that thrill of victory and the agony of defeat just to make them more hungry. Where one side gets all the wins, it, the fans become a little too complacent, and the thrill of the rivalry sorts to ebb a bit. You know, this point will be extremely important in a second when we get to one a rivalry that I feel is actually the greatest in Yeshiva League sports today. But these are my key factors to what make a great rivalry. Location, proximity, frequency of competition, importance of games, history and pride, historic battles, and yeah, where both sides are, you know, get some wins. You know, great rivalries in Yeshiva League sports, though. I can't speak to the history of the league because my experiences really only go back to about the beginning of my playing time, which was back in 1999, back at Rambam. But I can only imagine the great rivalries of the past where I've spoken to people like MTA, BTA, uh, you know, Highlight MTA, Highlight the old Hafter, uh, BTA Flatbush, etc., in basketball, and in hockey, you know, and, and the Ramaz Hafter tilts in the 80s, the Flatbush MTA battles of the early 90s. But never having seen them, I can only really rely on hearsay for them. You know, you can ask your parents. They might remember those a lot better than I can, and they may be able to fill you in on what they feel the greatest rivalries of the earlier years of the Yeshiva Leagues were. But over the course of this episode today, we'll get into some of the great Yeshiva League, Yeshiva League rivalries of the present day, and we're going to kick things off with what I consider to be the greatest one in Yeshiva League sports. Uh, we'll get to that in a second. But we're going to start off with hockey, and not a huge week in hockey numbers-wise, but... I mean, given only 13 games about JV and Varsity combined, but the number of rivalry games that were played make it extremely entertaining. Starting off in Varsity, you cannot talk rivalry without two of the biggest in Yeshiva League hockey today. Now, when I talk rivalries here, I'm not talking about the rivalries built through championships or games played once a year, like I said, oh, but rather games that have taken on new meaning for the teams, the schools, and the communities as a whole. Talking interdivisionally, like I said before, one could make the case that DRS-TABC has become one of the hottest rivalries, and it seems like after TABC is one that we could be talking about for the next few years. But there's only one Yeshiva League hockey rivalry, and... It seems like it's going to start up again in basketball, too, that year in and year out has been a battle at or near the top of the league, and that's DRS Hafter. Whenever these two meet, there's always a top seed or something close to it on the line, as these schools in hockey, let's start talking about hockey, over the last decade and a half have flip-flopped in representing the East in the finals. In fact, since 2000... With the exception of when it was an all-West affair, the only two Eastern teams to participate in the finals have been DRS and Hafter. In that period of time, DRS has won four championships, and Hafter has won five, with the tiebreaker, fittingly, being last year's 2-1 overtime triumph by the Hawks. Now, generally, I ascribe to the notion, like I've said before, that something really is only a rivalry, when, or not so much only rivalry, but only really grows to that rivalry where both sides win games. Because if one side's with all most of the games, it's more, really more like a big brother, little brother thing where you get complacent. And there's a ton of hype, but you generally know that one side is going to come out on top. But for the most part, with these two, that has gone out the window. 
In fact, over the last six years, to me, no pairings of schools has been more compelling than Hafter Halb and Hafter DRS. Take last year's teams, for instance. For five years, that Hafter team lost every single game they played against Halb and DRS, from elementary school to JV, to varsity, regular season, postseason, semifinals, and overtime, you name it, zero wins. But always extremely close games, uh, up until last year's finals, where they finally won. And that's just you know what some rivalries are. It's where you're interested more because you want to be there when one, you know, when that for the one game that that one team turns the tables and gets the monkey off their back. This year's edition has quite a bit more meaning than usual. You already know that they're about a mile from each other, so proximity is there. And obviously there's history and a great sense of animosity that sort of transcends onto the Yankee Red Sox level, where you know you may have gone somewhere else for elementary school, but you get to the first day and it's like, I want to beat those guys. You know, I had that with my first year in Rambam, so I know the feeling well. Here it's heightened even more by the recent happenings between the two schools where several players making a leap from DRS to Hafter. You know, last year was Evan Fader, an integral piece of the Hafter Championship run uh, last year. And this year, two varsity players, Gilad Kirstein and Sam Schechter, JV hockey player Donnie Goldberg. And in basketball, as we mentioned last week when DRS and Hafter took to the hardwood, the complete shifting of power in the basketball league to Hafter with the switching of A.B. Perlau. Now, in this game, things were no different. Hafter at 7-0-1 and DRS at 8-1, both fighting for control in the East Division. Hafter and DRS transfers looking to make a name for themselves and affirm their choices, and DRS looking to uphold their tradition and pride. Coming into the game, the seniors had not lost to Hafter in the greenhouse for DRS, and even further, had not lost in the greenhouse at all during their four-year career. So you had to know one way or another there'd be something interesting to talk about with this game, and what occurred definitely will have people talking until January, especially because how the score turned out. First half of the game went scoreless as goalies Ari Guttenmacher and Ryan Gluck were solid in net for DRS and Hafter respectively. Very befitting of the two of the top goaltenders in the league. A little over a minute to go in the second period. The Hawks would crack through though and it would be Evan Fader, one of those former DRS players, providing the marker coming down the left side of the floor and roofing the shot to give Hafter the one nothing lead. The game would stay one nothing until just before the switch when Sam Schechter provided the additional score for Hafter. Ethan Felder would cut the lead in half with about three minutes to go, and DRS would control the majority of the remainder of the game, but could not crack through, giving Hafter its second straight 2-1 victory over DRS. It only adds more, more fuel to the fire that the game tallies for Hafter came from former DRS players. This may signal a changing of the guard for a little bit of time. Whether or not it extends itself beyond this Hafter-DRS group remains to be seen, as we'll discuss with the JV game later. Yet another Eastern rivalry that has now become more of a footnote in the past in terms of importance to the league as a whole is the Brooklyn battle between Flatbush and Megan David. As someone who has been witness to this on all levels over the past 7 to 10 years, having been at Flatbush Megan David games on all three levels, having officiated all three levels in hockey for uh, the majority of the last five, six years. Um, it, it, this is one that's sort of lost its juice because of the positioning of both teams. Like I said before, importance of games really does take a factor. You know, for about four years, I officiated every Mag and David Flappers game from junior varsity up to up to var, from junior high up to varsity, and it would get downright nasty. I, I'm not going to go into specifics, but you knew the tension and the passion was there. You know, now as a coach, it just feels like the luster sort of left the matchup, except maybe. For 
rapport between the kids themselves. You know, I said a few weeks ago that the game that these two played in Mag and David was quite possibly the most cordial matchup I'd ever seen between the two. Thursday night featured another installment uh, as the Falcons took an early lead and ran away with the game 6-0. Saul Sasson registered five points on the night, scoring Flappish's first two goals, assisting on its next two, and scoring the fifth for his hat-trick. Ben Valinsky, Jack Braha, and Moshe Luz rounded out the, Flau- the Flappish Falcons' offense. Elliot Zakai held down the Flappish net for the shutout and Flappish's third win of the season, keeping them in playoff contention. Once again, this, seems, uh, this game seemed to have more of a friendly overtone with the kids from both sides conversing in between more than one of those old-time rivalry games where there was none of that. The other games on the week don't quite fall into the rivalry spectrum as the other two. Mag and David was able to avenge their loss to Solomon Schechter a few weeks ago, defeating them 3-1. In the West, with Kushner and Frisch postponing their game Monday due to nasty bouts with the flu, TABC-JEC was the only game, and it wasn't really a close one, as the Storm defeated the Thunder 12-1 to remain undefeated. Today featured a game, uh, an interconference matchup between SAR and Hank, with not a rivalry, but with a ton on the line for both sides. To get this result, listen into JM in the AM Sports Update this coming Tuesday morning, and I'll have a full recap for you, and I'll have one for you right here next week on the Court Report. Taking a look at the standings for the varsity, uh, the varsity hockey league in the East, Hafter leading the way now at 8-0-1, 17 points. DRS at 8-2 at 16. Hank without today's game, 5-2-0-1, 11 points. North Shore 5-7, almost ready to complete their season like their JV team with 10 points. Rambam right behind them with nine points at 4-6-0-1. Flatbush with five points at 2-5-0-1-1, and right behind them are Solomon Schechter and Mag and David, each with four points, Solomon Schechter at 2-8, Mag and David at 2-10. Out in the West, Ramaz leads uh, the, the division at 8-4, SAR at 7-2, and then you have a host of three teams at uh, six wins, but uh, Kushner at 13 points, 6-2-0-1-1, TABC undefeated at 6-0 with 12 points, and MTA at 6-2 with 12 points. Behind them, seven points, Frisch, 2-2-1-2. Two, two, two. You have JEC at 3-7 and seven with six points, and Heschel rounding out the division with zero points at 0-9. Oh now for the week ahead, I'm actually going to give you the schedule for the next two weeks, because next week I am going to be at the Barclays Center for the game between Hafter and Flatbush. Um, whether or not I'll have time to record a show to be put on the air is up for debate because I have a game to coach myself Saturday night. It may not afford me enough time to get it done. So we may either not, we're probably not going to be on next Sunday on a live show. But what we could do is after the game, maybe I can give you something a little bit for Tuesday. So stay tuned to, uh, to any messages for over the next week where we may have a show Tuesday as opposed to uh, just one show on Tuesday as opposed to Sunday. But for the next two weeks, here's a look at the Yeshiva League. Obviously, today's game between, uh, between Hank and, between Hank and SAR. Uh, Wednesday's next game, uh, Hank, Mag, and David play. And then Saturday night, a quadruple uh, set of games. Kushner and JEC play one of their rivalry matchups. 
DRS and Flatbush, my Flatbush team, playing against DRS on Saturday night. Hafter and Hank will play on Saturday night, and MTA and TABC also playing Saturday night. Moving over to next Monday, Hank and DRS will play in an important battle for the top of the Eastern Conference in hockey. Uh, MTA and Frisch will uh, will stoke the fires next Monday in a really important battle as one of, as one of those two teams uh, is in danger of not making the postseason at some point. And uh, who... Who will who that will be will pretty much well not pretty much yet but at some point over the next couple of weeks will be determined and that game's to be important to see who might have the upper hand on whom. Monday night another classic rivalry Rombaum and Hafter will play, and on Wednesday TABC and MTA, and Thursday will be Hafter TAB uh, sorry Saturday uh, next Saturday night not this Saturday not this coming Saturday night but the Saturday night after huge matchup between Hafter and TABC. Uh, playoff update. This is a time of year when playoff scenarios uh, happen fast, and given the 10 games that are going to be played, there's a lot that can happen, and we're next on, when we're next on the air, um, probably not next Tuesday, but on the other side of the new year, we will have all of that for you. Taking a look at the rankings now, in varsity, no changes this week. I know it's going to be a bit controversial. TABC stays at the one spot, uh, given that Hafter just beat DRS. But TABC at this point has beaten teams with higher rankings and completely throttled them in the process, having beaten Kushner when they were a top three team, having beaten SAR when they were a top three team. You know, the only point where this might change is January 3rd, when TABC and Hafter face in TABC. At that point, We'll know then who really belongs at the top. So for now, Hafter remains in the number two seed with the win over DRS. Uh, SAR at three, Kushner at four, both idle on the week. DRS stays at five, Ramaz at six, MTA seven, Frisch eight, Hank nine, uh, Ramaz through Hank, uh, all idle on the week. Same with North Shore at 10, Rambam at 11. Flappish stays at 12, despite their win over Mag and David, needing to beat some better teams in order to start moving up the board. JEC stays at 13, despite the loss to TABC. Mag and David splitting the week stays at 14, beating Solomon Schechter, but losing to Flappish. Uh, Solomon Schechter stays, uh, dro- um, actually, no, Mag and David moves up from 15 to 14. I just noticed that uh, with the win over Solomon Schechter, the Solomon Schechter's loss pushes them down to 15 from 14. Heschel stays at 16, having been idle on the week. Moving over to JV now. JV continued the theme of Rivalry Week. We'll first take you through the JV segments of the ones we previously mentioned. On Sunday, DRS was able to work a split of the hockey action with Hafter, downing the Hawks 5-2. to DRS jumped out early to a 2-0 lead before Hafter rebounded to even the score. Midway through the second, DRS was able to pull away on a goal by Ellie Levine and would add two others before the final buzzer to stretch it to the final score. With Donnie Goldberg unable to participate in the game for Hafter, some of the rivalry aspect of the game was weakened a bit, but he will be available, hopefully, in the return game at the end of January in Hafter and should bolster the Hawks' presence on both the defense and offensive end. But for this round, DRS maintains its grip on the rivalry. Hafter would rebound the next night to drop Mag and David by the same score as Hafter's loss the night before, 5-2. to two. The loss would put the Warriors in dire straits for their matchup with Flatbush on Thursday night, Yet another fold to throw into a game which featured a bit more of their rivalry flair than the varsity bout. The twist in this rivalry is that, unlike DRS Hafter, where you have players from both sides of the Hafter Elementary School going in there in either direction, you know, Flappish, Mag, and David is mostly a one way street. Flappish's team is a mix of both elementary schools, where uh, Mag and David and Flappish, whereas Mag and David is the remainder of the kids who have stayed in Mag and David mostly. The same holds true for the varsity, but the talent that Flappish has gained, including key contributors uh, in JV and like Nathan Mosseri, 
uh, Joey Habert, and Aaron Kuby cannot be underestimated when talking about why this team is where it is in the standings. In a rare twist, Megan David did have a player with Flappish ties, though not directly, as goalie Eric Barsano's brother Mark was a Flappish graduate and a Falcon last year. Um, uh, Eric Barsano, a Megan David graduate from last year, uh, junior high. Uh, no other Flappish, uh, no other Flappish connection. Just as in the DRS after varsity game, there would be a little irony after a scoreless first period that included a Megan David penalty shot that didn't find the net. Three and a half into the second period, it would be Mosseri taking a drop pass from San Laniato at the point and putting it home for a one nothing Flatbush lead. Not even two minutes later, however, Albert Hadef would tie the game, redirecting home a pass from Michael Mamie to even the score at 1-1. Let's take you back to last year when these two teams met in Flatbush. Tied 2-2, the game would go to overtime when a tunnel Nemet would turn a 2-on-1 into the game winner two minutes into the extra session. This one looked like it was headed for overtime as well, but with 1.22 to go, it would be Nemet once again making the difference, catching Barsano off guard with a shot from the half-court line and beating him to give Flatbush the 2-1 victory. With the win, Flatbush clinches a playoff berth and all but denies Mag and David the ability to do the same. The Warriors are now 3-6 and six and can get at most 8 points. Rambam, Flatbush, and North Shore are already past that point total. DRS is at that mark and holds the tiebreak, defeating Mag and David earlier this year. And Hank is currently at 7, meaning that a Hank win or a Magan loss will make it official. With Hank still getting to face YDE and Shari Torah, one can say that it's all but done. Speaking of those two, they also faced on Thursday night, meaning that all four Brooklyn teams were in action on Thursday night against each other. Despite both teams being at the bottom of the East, this has the makings of a new rivalry in the Yeshiva League as the two games played were extremely competitive matchups. And in speaking with Shari coach Jack Horowitz, he said the kids absolutely felt like there was some point of pride on the line between the two. In the first meeting, YDE edged out a 3-2 win late in the game for their only win on the season. This one would be just as close most of the way. Shari Torah held a 3-2 lead until the last four minutes of the game when the floodgates opened and Shari would walk away with a 7-2 victory for its first on the season and in the JV League. Ezra Sutton scored four goals, with Moise Cabasso putting in two for Shari, with defenseman Eddie Harari scoring the game winner in the second. Stephen Benzakin had YDE's goals. It'll be interesting to see these teams grow over the next few years to see if they can complement and intensify or even supplement the existing rivalries of Mag and David and Flatbush. You know, maybe the extra competition is exactly what's needed to inject a little bit more life back into that rivalry. The West had three games on the week, only Ramaz and SAR with any real history, unless you count that one time with Frisch and JAC, which we won't go into on this show. Speaking of which... The Thunder and Cougars met up last Sunday in a battle of two 4-1 teams, each looking to keep pace with SAR at the top of the division. The Cougars opened up the scoring with a goal three minutes in by Johnny Newman. The lead would not last for long as four minutes later, the Thunder struck back with Sammy Katz tying the game at one, where it would head into the second period. The middle frame would prove to be somewhat deja vu, with Yehuda Brin putting Frisch up one three minutes in, but JEC recovering on a power play with two minutes to go on a shot by Alicia Schmutter game would stay tied until midway through the third. Right after the switch, a low shot from Max Srolowitz from the point deflected off a stick in front of JEC goalie Jason Silverstein. Silverstein tracking the ball had gone down. The flexion sent the ball upward, with Silverstein making an instant reaction that almost worked, but could not make the save, giving Frisch the 3-2 lead. 
JEC press for the last five minutes, and with two minutes left came oh so close, hitting the post behind Charlie Freilish, but never finding Paydirt, giving Frisch a 3-2 win, pushing them to 5-1, and one, a game up on JEC with the tiebreak in hand in the battle for the second seed behind SAR. The Sting kept their undefeated season going, dropping Ramaz 6-1 to Thursday night, a very spread-out scoring card for the Sting. Solomon Freilish, Shua Friedman, Judah Fortgang, Ben Lasher, Joey McGillner, and Adam Weiss all put markers on the board for SAR. Absent, though, for the first time this season, and after scoring 11 goals in the last three games, was Gordy Kolb, who left the game with an injury. Also on the week, MTA down Westchester 3-0 for their fifth win on the year to guarantee, at the very least, a 500 season. Looking through the standings in JV, in the East, Rombaum leads at 8-0 with 16 points. Flappers right behind them at 6-1 with 12 points. North Shore, having finished their season last week, stays at 4-5-0-1, 9 points. DRS right behind them at 4-2 with 8 points. Hank, 3-2-0-1 with 7 points. Remember those totals. This can be very important. Mag and David at 6 points uh, at 3-6. and six. Hafter at 4 with a record of 2-3. and three. YDE and Shari Tora now tied at 2 points. YDE at 1-6 and, and Shari at 1-5. and five. Out in the West, a little different look. SAR, 14 points at 7-0. and oh. Frisch. And MTA tied at 10 points, Frisch at 5-1, and one, MTA at 5-4. and four. JEC right behind them at 4-2 and two with 8 points. Ramaz behind them at 3-4-0-1 oh with 7 points. TABC at 3-2 and two with 6 points. And Hill and Westchester round out the division at 2-7 and seven with 4 points and 0-8 oh with 0 points. Looking at their schedule for the next two weeks... Hank and Shari Toro will meet up on Tuesday. Thursday, we'll see Mag and David and YDE in another Brooklyn battle. Saturday night, we'll have DRS and Flatbush fighting. We'll get to the importance of that in just a second, as well as the fellow Saturday night matchup of Hafter and Hank. Monday, the next coming Monday, we'll have three games. Hank, DRS, TABC, JEC, which will be an important game as well. We'll get to when we talk about the West. And Rambam Hafter, another important game for the East. Tuesday, we'll see Hafter and Shari Torah, and then the next Saturday night, the 3rd, we'll see YDE and Hank do battle. Taking a look at the playoff update, in the East, Rambam at 8-0 has clinched the first-round home game and a top-two spot, and is all but assured of the first seed, needing only one win and having games against Shari Torah and Hafter remaining. So the real battle in the division is going to be for the two spots directly behind them, a battle between four teams going down the stretch. Uh, Flappish at 6-1 and one has the inside track for one of those spots. The Falcons have already clinched a playoff berth thanks to their win over Mag and David this week. With the win over DRS next month at Shabbos, Flappish would assure themselves of a top three spot, and with the remaining schedule that they have with Shari Torah and Hafter, a top two, uh, top two spot would basically be a foregone conclusion. Technically, the same could be said for DRS, theoretically, but with two losses and games remaining against Hank and Hafter, even a DRS win doesn't make them as safe as Flappish would be with a win. It only helps the two that Hank and Hafter are playing against each other that night, assuring that one of those teams will take a major step back in the hunt. 
North Shore is still holding on and praying, just hoping that someone messes up and that the other teams can uh, you know, do the work that they couldn't. Mag and David losing to Flatbush this week put another team behind them, and the likelihood of Shari winning out is very slim. So it's very much a six-team race for five spots, with Rambam and Flatbush in, DRS and Hank very close, both with easy points ahead, leaving the real trouble for the Stars being Hafter. Ironically, if you remember back to the earlier part of the season, it was North Shore who beat Hafter uh, early in the season, meaning that the Hawks would now need 10 square points and not 9 in order to make it. With four points right now and a game against Shari Tower, the likelihood is that Hafter will only need to win two of its other final four games. The problem, though, they face all of the other top four teams in the division in the process. Hank, Rambam, DRS, and Flappish. So if they do it, they'll definitely have earned it, seeing as how they'd have done something against those teams that North Shore itself could not. Out West, the situation is a bit more clear-cut. SAR at 7-0 has clinched a playoff berth. They do not play again until after the new year, but can still lock up a top-three spot with a TABC loss to JEC next Monday night. That game should really set the dividing line for the top-three and the wildcard teams, as TABC will have one less loss, the tiebreak, and JEC having a game with SAR remaining. The pressure, though, will still remain on the Storm to defeat MTA and have a good showing against Frisch, uh, MTA, who was one point away from clinching a spot themselves, and a win against TABC on the 5th of January would slam the door on the playoff spot without having to wait and see whether or not Ramaz drops a point against either Frisch or SAR. But again, the West is far easier than the East to determine. SAR has locked the spot up. Frisch and MTA are a win away, and JEC's schedule makes it extremely likely that the three points it needs to climb over Ramaz are in the bag. That leaves Ramaz and TABC fighting for the final spot, and TABC's schedule down the stretch having Westchester and MTA, compared to Ramaz's, which is having SAR and Frisch, is a far easier road. Taking a look at the rankings, quite a bit more movement in the JV than there was in varsity. Rambam stays at number one at the top. SAR, with their win over Ramaz, stays at two. Frisch stays at three with their close win over JEC. DRS stays at four with their win over Hafter. Five and six flip. Uh, JEC, with their great showing against Frisch last week, despite a loss, moves up from six to the fifth spot. I guess we'll see a lot more out of JEC and expect more out of them over the next few weeks. And uh, this is their first appearance in a while in the top five. Dropping out of the top five, despite their win, uh, is Flatbush, needing that close victory over Mag and David, dropping to the sixth spot from number five. TABC and Hank stay at seven and eight. Hafter, with the win over Mag and David, despite the loss to DRS, moves from the 11th spot to the 9th spot. North Shore stays at 10. MTA moves up from 12th to 11th spot. And Mag and David drops from 9th to 12th with the losses to both Hafter and Flatbush. Ramaz stays at 13. Hillel stays at 14. Westchester stays at 15 uh, with the loss to JEC. And Shari, Torah, and Darche. Uh, Darjeer is YDE, do the dance once again. YDE dropping from 16th to 17th with the loss to Shari Sharatora, moving from 17th up to 16th.
You're listening to The Court Report on the Nachum Siegel Network. I'm your host, Elliot Weiselberg, taking you through the week in Yeshiva League Sports. We are sponsored by Crown Trophy of Brooklyn. Give them a call, 718-769-4111. We're going to move over to basketball now. Kicking off the basketball segment, we're going to run through the past week and preview next week's game between Flatbush and Hafter at the Barclays Center. I'm going to play for you an interview that I did with the Flatbush Athletic Director Eric Amkraut last night. This will be Eric's second time on the court report having participated in our girls sports round table we're going to forego girls basketball this week due to the interview which i know is ironic but given that there weren't many games played over the last week it might be best to do one major girls sports recap on the next full show so starting out with varsity basketball we're going to start it in the west where december has not been kind to the ramaz rams after starting out with a victory over mta the rams have lost three straight sending them into a free fall down the standing start and now sit at six and five after dropping two this past week Last Sunday, saw the Hillel Heat make the trip into the city and walk away with a 57-46 victory, giving Hillel their sixth win on the year, putting them into a tie with Ramaz. Later on in the week, it was another Heat team. It would be cross-city counterpart Heschel, sending Ramaz to a similar fate, defeating the Ramaz Rams 69-54. to Jonathan Granowitz scored 15 points, and three other players scored in double figures, beating Ramaz for the second time in league play and third time in the past two weeks. Sam Lippman added 14 points, and Jeremy Spira and Michael Gatan had 11 each for the Heat. Just like Hillel, Heschel is now also at six wins after defeating MTA 62-39 last Sunday. However, Heschel falls in between Hillel and Ramaz in the loss columns at four wins after dropping their game in North Shore the next night, 63-54. Cody Cohen scored 22 points, and Ryan Paul added 18 as the Stars defeated the Heat, who were led by Jeremy Spiro with 13, Jonathan Granowitz and Sam Schwartzben each added 12. In the only other All-West contest, first defeated JEC 58-38 in Game 3 of JEC's seven-game home stretch. SAR and Ramaz play today in SAR. Like Ramaz, SAR comes into today's game hurting, having lost to Hafter last week. The Hawks remain undefeated in the East, as A.B. Perla, who we mentioned before, recorded a double-double and nearly a triple-double with 19 points, 16 rebounds, and 7 blocks. Jonathan Greenberg added 13. Megan David upended YDE 49-48. to Victor Salem hit both ends of a 1-1 one one with 26 seconds left to give the Warriors their first lead of the game and the victory. Jack Shabar led the Warriors with 22 points. Elliot Elo scored 15 for the Thunder in the loss. It would be YDE's second loss on the week, having lost to North Shore before their win over Heschel. Cody Cohen also led that one with 18 points. The other two games on the week belong to Flatbush. Monday night saw them defeat Derek Hattor 73-55. Bobby Sofer led Flatbush with 21 points. Adam Matovich led YDH with 16. Now, last week we mentioned the score to the Rambam Derek Hattor game, the 87-76 Rambam victory. What we did not know at the time was that Matovich, who had already held the high watermark for the scoring this season, having dropped 42 on Rabam to open the season, eclipsed his own mark by putting home 52 points. 
I need to get confirmation on how far back it's been since the last half-century performance, but that's ridiculous. A sophomore scoring 52 points in a varsity league, leading the league in scoring, it can only be left up to our imagination at this point what he might do over the next two years. Obviously, the Flatbush game brought him down to earth a bit, but even 16 in the Yeshiva League game for a senior would be a great showing, much less a sophomore. In the other Flatbush game, the Falcons defeated Hank 37-24, to holding the Hurricanes to 14 points after the first quarter to improve their record to 4-4. Four and four. The Falcons and North Shore took part in what I believe to be the first quadruple header today, featuring both boys and girls JV and varsity in Flatbush, which I mentioned in my discussion with Eric Amkraut. As I said earlier, I had the chance to speak with Eric, uh, the Flatbush AD, regarding their upcoming varsity game with Hafter at the Barclays Center. So, Eric, walk me through how this process began, how this game came about. Well, I would tell you it's something that was in my mind as early as last year uh, when, obviously, we had seen that the, that the Nets had moved from New Jersey to Brooklyn. You now had a professional franchise in Brooklyn itself, which probably, I believe, was the first time since uh, since the Dodgers had left back in back in the 40s. So it, the idea of having a, a professional, or not just a professional-grade franchise, but a premier-grade uh, professional franchise housed in Brooklyn uh, really was kind of a neat idea and started started uh, percolating in my head. Is there some way that we could connect our school, which is Yeshiva Flatbush, with, with the name Flatbush, which is so synonymous with Brooklyn itself, to try and connect that with uh, with the Brooklyn Nets and, and the Barclays Center, when you now have this premier top-rate facility in town, uh, and to try and create that connection. So with one year under my belt, I started taking a look. We had done a couple of things there where we brought our students out to games at the end of the season as a way to celebrate the season. And at that point, I started thinking, hmm, it would be really neat if we could actually play some games on the Barclays Center court. Uh, at which point, I reached out to our contacts at the Barclays Center. We started taking a look at what dates might work out. And uh, the idea of uh, a date, obviously for us, it's somewhat limiting because we didn't want to go too late at night with a game start with the fact that we'd have to have our kids back in school pretty early. And the idea that a Sunday evening was available uh, really kind of solidified the opportunity to take advantage of this. And so the end result is next Sunday night, you're going to have Flatbush and Hafter meeting on the Barclays Center Court at 7 p.m. How did you settle on Hafter being the opponent? Uh, Well, I would tell you the first thing we had to do was look at a game that we could move to the site. So we, we had to find a date that was one of our home games where we really had nothing else going on at home and we would be able to move it off of that date. And then the next thing was to find an opponent that would be agreeable, that, that we thought would be interested in, as well in, in providing their students with an opportunity to play on a professional, uh, a professional arena and to play on that kind of center court. And when we looked at the schedule and we started looking at, at potential opponents, Pastor was a, was a clear possibility, and to, you know, to my pleasure, when I reached out to their AD, Joey Honig, he was very much intrigued by the idea, and when we were able to make it happen, he, he readily agreed, and obviously we're very appreciative, uh, because you, you, can't, you can't play out there by yourself, you need an opponent, and, uh, and they were very much agreeable. Interestingly enough, uh, Flatbush and Hafter are also facing in Hafter this coming Thursday night, I believe. And, and a lot of that had to do with, and maybe it's uh, one of the reasons we were able to find
find this day to make it work is that whether we were at the Barclays Center or not, we were going to be playing uh, anywhere from two to three days apart, relatively back to back. So in terms of moving it, we, we really have just moved from one day because we would have been playing Saturday night instead of Sunday night. So what's the reaction been like from the kids? I'm sure you've heard feedback already. What What is, I'm sure there's a great sense of anticipation, a great sense of excitement. What have the kids been telling you? Well, I think you're 100% right. And it really is, from their standpoint, it's exciting. I don't think that it was, I don't think it was anything that they ever thought was a possibility. Um, and when I broached it with the coach as something we might be doing, uh, I obviously did not tell him to share that because until it was finalized. Because I didn't want anybody to think, oh, well, we're going to play, and then it not happened. But as soon as it was finalized and we shared with them the opportunity they would have, they were 100% excited by it. Uh, there was not one negative reaction I got, which is uh, obviously not surprising. Uh, but they're like, really? We're going to play at the Barclays Center? And um, it, it was it was absolutely top-flight response that we got across the board. And then when we shared that with the community as well, with the, with the school community, uh, the same kind of reaction. And uh, we think it's going to be a great opportunity. I mean, you, you have a first-class facility in the Barclays Center in town, and you know, to be able to take our school there and be a part of that is very, very exciting. Uh, well, for the Yeshiva League, this is going to be the first time in, I would think, I believe, about a decade, and even more so considering this would be the first non-championship game, I believe, played in an NBA facility. Back, back, way back when, games used to be played in the Meadowlands, and I think there were several in the early years in Madison Square Garden. This is going to be the first Yeshiva League game, obviously played in the Barclays Center, but like I said, I believe the first Yeshiva League game played in a regular season in an NBA arena. Well, from everything that I've heard, uh, you're, you're absolutely correct. Um, I, I am aware that the league championships used to be at the Garden, and that that changed when they made the move to um, Yeshiva University. And certainly there's a lot of sense behind playing championships at Yeshiva University. Uh, but again, from my standpoint, the opportunity to expose our kids to this kind of a setting, to kind of create that connection with uh, a professional Brooklyn franchise was real significant for me. And, uh, and yeah, I think it is a unique opportunity. So we're kind of excited to be pioneers in that venture. Let's talk a little bit more about the day itself. Obviously, the game, the day isn't only going to be about the Yeshiva League game itself. What's going on before? Well, if you're a basketball junkie, then, then it's absolutely your kind of day. Uh, we're going to be basically the nightcap of an event where there are three consecutive college games. You've got St. John's and um, Tulane that will tip off the uh, Brooklyn Hoops Winter Festival, which is a, a triple header of college basketball. They play at 12 o'clock. They are followed by uh, Long Island, by LIU Brooklyn, who's playing uh, Hofstra in game number two, and they play at 2.30, and then at 5 o'clock, you have Fairfield and um, Loyola of Maryland. So you got a, a pretty potent triple header before us, and then when everything clears out at 7 o'clock, we'll take the court, we'll warm up, and uh, and then tip off the, uh, I guess, the first Yeshiva League contest at the Barclays Center. Are the kids going to be privy to the games beforehand? Well, that's the nice thing about this, this whole production is that uh, in order to, to come see our game, you get a ticket to the entire festival, which entitles you to come in as early as 12 o'clock or as late as 7 o'clock and to see any or all of the uh, the Winter Festival and obviously uh, move down afterwards and get a front row seat to Flappish after. So you have the ability, the unique ability, to be at two consecutive quadruple headers on two consecutive Sundays, correct? 
I didn't really think about that when we put it together. Um, but as you mentioned, we have a quadruple header the day before this coming Saturday with North Shore, where we've got our, uh, our girls JV and varsity doubleheader tipping off at 11, and that's immediately followed by a boys JV varsity doubleheader at uh, at two o'clock. So yeah, you're absolutely right. We've got two quadruple headers of basketball back to back. So as I said, if you're a basketball junkie. This is your kind of weekend. Is there anything planned for the game itself? Is the game going to be different than usual? Well, clearly the biggest difference is you're playing on uh, on a professional grade court. And, you know, one of, one of the nice things about high schools is you have often built-in home court advantages. And, and I think most people in the Yeshiva League will look at uh, at the Falcons' nest where we play our games as a, as a distinct advantage. It's a relatively small-ish gym, although certainly not the smallest in the Yeshiva League. Um but it has confines that when you play there regularly, you have a home court advantage. And moving your game from uh, from the Falcons Nest to the Barclays Center, you're going to a full-length NBA court, and that's going to be a huge difference. But that that obviously will will bear out in how the game plays and the condition of the players. But aside from that, in terms of your approach to the game, you're still competing against your Super League opponent. We're all jockeying for playoff position, and so from that standpoint, uh, it's important to our team to try and gather as many wins as they can, and, uh, and certainly we'll approach it that same way. Uh, we certainly hope that our style of play and the fact that we think that we're a fairly deep squad will, will be a plus for us, um, because one thing I do expect is that our players, the players on both sides, will get fatigued at a much faster rate than, uh, than they would at a normal so this starts 7 o'clock next week. Festivities start, obviously, if you want to go to the Winter Classic, is at 12 o'clock. Uh, how can people attend? So if you need a ticket for the game, and if you want to come watch us play, you absolutely need a ticket for the game. Um, both the athletic offices at Hafter and Flatbush have tickets for sale. And um, so by all means, you can reach out to either athletic office. I can tell you that from a Flatbush standpoint, we certainly have tickets still available. Um, that phone number is available through our athletic website, flatbushfalcons.com, and if they reach out to me, I'd be more than happy to make sure that they get all the tickets that they need to be able to come cheer on the Falcons at the Barclays Center. Our tickets are $20 a piece, and for that, you get a ticket that's a, it's a set seat for the winter, for the winter Festival, and then for the Flatbush after game, you're able to move down and sit wherever you like in the arena. Uh, so you got front court experience for a uh, for at an NBA arena for a game for the first time in how many years for at twenty bucks? <laughs> that's, that's a question I couldn't answer, but it's definitely going to be a, it's got to be a long period of time. Absolutely unheard of in <laughs> New York these days, isn't it? Well, that's a good between the Knicks and the Nets. You're lucky if 20 bucks gets you in the building. Uh, even that or a bag of popcorn. Thank you very, very much, Eric. My pleasure. We look forward to seeing the community out, and uh, we hope that this is the first of many such opportunities for uh, for our students to take advantage of the first-class, world-class venues. Once again, you're listening to The Court Report on the Nachum Siegel Network, sponsored by Crown Trophy of Brooklyn. That was Eric Amkraut, Flatbush Athletic Director. In a follow-up conversation with Eric, he mentioned that this game is really being used as a test run for future events, and he hopes to extend the same opportunity to girls' sports as well. For those that have listened to The Court Report all season, you remember that Eric was an outspoken voice for the girls' sports community in our roundtable earlier this school year. 
Moving on to the standings in the East, Hafter stays perfect at 7-0, and DRS following right behind at 8-1, and tied with North Shore in the win column at 8-3. and Behind them, it's a decent drop, with Mag and David at 4-3, and YDE at 5-5, five and five, Flopush at 4-4, four and four, Hank at 3-5, and five, and Derek Hattora and Rambam rounding out, rounding out the division with one win, Derek Hattora at 1-10, and, and Rambam at 1-11. and 11. Out in the West, Frisch still perfect at 8-0. TABC, Heschel, Hillel, and Ramaz all with six wins, TABC at 6-2, Hillel at 6-3, Heschel at 6-4, and, and Ramaz at 6-5, clinging on to that five spot. JEC follows behind them at 5 and 5, SAR at 3 and 6, MTA at 3 and 7, and Kushner at 0 and 10. Uh, SAR and MTA need to pick it up in order to catch JEC, or JEC will take home that last spot for the playoffs in the West. Looking at the Jewish Groups America Top 25 rankings, we do not have enough time to run through it all, but last week's ranking had Yeshiva League teams in control of the top four spots nationally, with Hafter, Frisch, DRS, and North Shore placing one through four, and Heschel and TABC behind Eula at six and seven. In JV basketball, one game stood out from the rest on the week. Uh, that was the Frisch-SAR game played in SAR this past week. Frisch staked itself to a 9-8 lead with a minute to go in the first one. Dovey Marcus drained a three to give SAR only its second lead of the game. The Cougars would answer back with Sammy Fishman evening the game at 11 on the next Frisch possession. Jordan Kleinhaus converted on two free throws to give the Cougars a 13-11 lead. But it would be Marcus again for the sting, this time with a three-pointer to give them a 14-13 lead to end the first quarter. The Sting maintained its lead and extended it out to 6 at 24-18 on a 3 from Hank Stein with 4.25 left in the second. Undeterred, though, the Cougars fought back, scoring the next 8 points to take a 26-24 lead. An SAR foul shot cut the lead to 1, and with the clock winding down on an inbounds play, Zach Reich hit a long 2 to give the Sting the 27-26 lead going into the half. The two teams would go back and forth in the third, with neither really able to break away with the stanza ending at 38-36 SAR. In the fourth, Frisch's press really got to SAR, forcing major sting mistakes. With the game at 42-40, Isaac Lafer hit a long three to put the Cougars back up by one halfway through. SAR would regain the lead on an Ashi Bloom lay-in, putting the score back in SAR's favor. Fast forward to a minute left in the game. SAR still on top, 47-45. A steal by Josh Dukas led to an entry pass into Zach Comet that found the bottom of the rim for the 47-47 tie, which would take us to overtime. In overtime, Marcus would give SAR a 49-48 lead. A minute later, same score, SAR ball. Lafer steals the ball, falls to the floor, continues his dribble, gets up, rolls into two SAR defenders, and goes under and over to lay the ball in for the 50-49 Frisch lead with two to go. The lead would trade twice more with Marcus and Kleinhaus scoring, with uh, and with a minute to go, Frisch held a 52-51 lead. A Frisch foul with 35 seconds led to two shots on the line from Daniel Wazotsky, who would drain both to give SAR a lead it would never relinquish. A foul shot by Marcus put the sting up two. Kleinhaus had the chance to tie the game with three seconds to go, but his shot rolled off the rim and right to Marcus, who was fouled. Marcus would nail one of his one of two, his twenty-third point on the night for the final margin of victory. 
With the win, SAR gains a measure of revenge from last year and pulls the Western Division ever closer together. This after Amaz picked up their fifth win of the season, and Heschel and JEC each picked up their third. This moves eight of the division's ten teams to between three and five wins. Kushner is right behind at two wins, but with seven losses is done for the year. The same with Hillel. In the East, Flopper stayed a perfect 5-0 with a 60-39 win over Hank. Kevin Haddon and A.B. Rosau once again had monster games for the Falcons, Haddon scoring 20, while Rosau added another double-double with 16 points and 14 rebounds. The Falcons are involved in today's quadruple header with Norshall, who dropped YDE 54-32. Both Norshall and YDE were in action later on in the week. The Stars met up with Hafter Thursday night in the Battle of the Undefeated, while YDE met Mag and David last night. Finally, Rombaum got their second win of the season, dropping winless Ezra 52-32. Rolling through the standings in JV, this coming out of Wednesday night, not having Thursday night scores from there on out. In the East, North Shore, Flatbush, and Hafter were all undefeated. There is definitely one loss in that stretch with either North Shore or Hafter getting it. Flatbush facing uh, North Shore today. Uh, one of those two will have a loss anyways. DRS and Hank at 3-3. Three and three, Shari at 3-4. and four, Meg and David, Rambam and YDE each with two wins. Then Ezra at 0-7. In the West, SAR at 5-1. and one, MTA at 4-1. and one, Ramaz at 5-2. and two, Frisch and TABC at 4-2. and two, Heschel at 3-3. Three and three, JEC at 3-4. Five, Kushner at 2-7, and, and Hillel at 0-7. Oh Before we go, I'd just like to say thank you again to Eric Amkraut for joining me on the show to discuss next week's battle at the Barclays between Hafter and Flappish. Again, for tickets to that event uh, from Flapp- through Flappish, it's $20. Go on to the site, flappishfalcons.com, for more information as to how to purchase tickets for next week's game. We're going to end off tonight's show a little different than we usually do. Uh, generally, at this point, I do awards from the wise, but we're going to forego that this week. And instead, we are going to play one of my favorite songs uh, around this time of year, because it is Hanukkah. We're going to play Hanukkah Blessings by a band. I'm not sure I can say the name on this network, and if I can't, I'll get a call from Nachum tomorrow, uh, letting me know that I can't do it in the future. Uh but the band's name is Bare Naked Ladies, and the song is Hanukkah Blessings. Please enjoy. Um, if you missed any part of this or any episode this season, you can catch the Encore presentation every Tuesday night at 7 p.m., or you can find the Court Report on iTunes or the Nachum Siegel Network app. Tomorrow morning, jam in the AM with Nachum Siegel from 6 to 9 a.m. live on the stream, NachumSiegel.com, or on your radio 91.1 FM, 90.1 FM in the Catskills, 91.9 FM Rockland County. Once again, a huge thank you to our sponsors, Crown Trophy of Brooklyn. Please give them a call at 718-769-4111 for all of your plaque and trophy needs. For more of me, you can hear me every Tuesday morning on jam in the AM at around 7 20 with the Tuesday morning jam in the AM sports update. If you haven't visited the Court Report fan page on Facebook, please do so and click the like tab. Let's get that number up. Enjoy the song. See you on our next episode right here on the Court Report, only on the Nachum Siegel Network. How lucky are we that we have lights so that we can see Although the day is done What a miracle that a spark Lifts these candles out of the dark Every evening one by one And 
Joyful time every night 